Welcome to Christmas Eve at Knox. In this series, Pastor Justin endeavors to answer the question, who was Luke? History tells us that Luke was an investigative historian, one who searched out the people who personally knew Jesus. As one of the earliest Gospels, Luke presents a compelling argument for the existence of Jesus and proof of his claims to be both God and men, the blameless Son of God and the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In this eighth installment in the series shared on Christmas Eve, the Gospel of Luke A Journey with Jesus, entitled The Cheap Seats, Pastor Justin reminds us that, with God, there are no cheap seats. We are all front and center with Him. He is asking, even imploring you, to accept the grace that God so freely offers through Jesus. He was born for you. God asks us to accept that free gift to remove the curse of sin from Adam, and accept what God has so freely given. Eternal Life Through Jesus Christ Let's open our Bibles together. Luke 2. Verses 1 through 20. Some of you probably could say this without even looking at your Bibles. But if you have your Bibles open, please rise with me as we read these 20 incredibly familiar verses. And as I'm often trying to challenge you to when we come to familiar passages, try to hear this fresh. Try to read it as if you never read it before. And you'll find God opens your eyes to something pretty incredible. Let's read God's word together tonight. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and who was expecting a child. When they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we are given wonderful gift. Lord, this story that we have told and retold and retold is no less incredible, surprising, and personal. I pray that you speak through the words of this scripture tonight, to touch our hearts, 
Would you open us up to the wonder, the miracle of our rescue that started with the birth of a child? Lord, we love you in your name. Amen. Please have a seat. There is something so incredibly weird about what we just read. And we've read it so many times, I don't even think it registers how weird this thing is. But when I, I read, I sat down last week, and when I was starting to work on my sermon notes, there's a m- moment where I just sat back and I went, huh, this is weird. I've never noticed this before, even though Luke is putting it right out in the open, right in front of us. It's not a secret. It's not a weird interpretation of the text. It's right there, and it is so strange. So what is the weird thing? It's not angels showing up. That's magnificent. That's out of the ordinary. It's not the weird thing. What is the weird thing? The weird thing is when Jesus Christ is born and Luke is documenting, remember Luke is a a historian. He is getting all the details down. He has interviewed these people. He is giving us the cutting edge story. And when Jesus is born, the weird thing is Luke goes, all right, I'm leaving you, and I'm going all the way outside of town. The birth celebration of Jesus didn't happen where he was born. That is weird. And we know it's weird because just a chapter, just a few verses before, John the Baptist was born. You remember that? John the Baptist was born, and what happens? There's a celebration right where he's born. Friends, family, the whole town rises up. There's a celebration right then and there. That's how it usually is. I mean, if somebody asks you, tell me about the story of your child's birth. You wouldn't go, well, it all started in the parking lot. And you'd go off on some random tangent. Or if somebody asks you about the story of your wedding, you wouldn't say, well, let me tell you about what happened at a Walmart three three miles down the street. You tell them what happened, where it was at. But here, the story of Jesus, it almost like Luke just takes the camera and runs out of town and goes somewhere very unexpected. The king of the universe is born, and Luke takes us to the cheap seats. He takes us so far out of town that I don't think the shepherds sitting on that hill could see the manger, wherever that, that stable was, that, that manger was. They couldn't see it. Their seats are so far away. So have you ever asked, as I did, why God chose to throw a celebration for the birth of his son way out of town. Why didn't he have that celebration right then and there in the manger? Well, I think this is a puzzling factor if you start, as many people do, and they think Luke starts in chapter 2, and they ignore the first chapter. Let's get right to the birth of Jesus. And one reason why we started at the first chapter, not only that God gave it to us, but that God was establishing a pattern. He was showing us something very important. That God has this pattern, this habit, of taking nobodies on the outside and drawing them in to his inner circle of grace. And we see that in chapter 1 a couple times. We see that God went to the outside where there was an old priest and his wife who were nobodies, who nobody really knew about. They had done nothing of significance. And God drew them into grace and prophecy and an important legacy with their, the birth of their son. He looked on the outside and he saw a teenage girl. 
And he drew her in and said, I'm going to give you one of the most important missions that anybody's ever had in all of history. You're going to raise the Son of God in your home. And now the father is not about to break the pattern when his son is born. Because when his son's born, he looks on the outside. He says, now I'm going to draw some more nobodies into this inner circle of grace. This right here in chapter 2 is about as outside as you can get. If we think where Jesus should have been born in Israel, it should have been in the palace in Jerusalem. It should have been right there, or the temple, somewhere super important. Instead, it's in the suburbs, and it's out in the manger in the suburbs. And when he celebrates it, it's out on the outskirts of Bethlehem, which already was not that big of a town. And out there, some working-class shepherds were pulling a long night shift and talk about nobodies. What were their names? We don't know. That's how nobody they were. We're not told this is their name and this is something great that they've done that God would choose to visit them at this moment. We're not told that, oh, by the way, this is Joe who saved a baby from a burning building that time. This is Greg who always got the top marks in all of Sunday school classes. We're not told anything about these guys. To the world, they were nobodies. They were working a job nobody wanted. They were smelly, dirty, lived outside with a bunch of dirty, smelly sheep. And in the realm of life, they sat in the cheap seats. And they always had. I identify with this, and maybe you do too. My family was never rich. We were never very well off. That's okay. God always gave us everything we ever needed. But if we ever went to a concert, if we ever went to the circus, if we ever got to go on an airplane, I guarantee you we were in the cheapest seats possible. We were in the discount. We were on the wing of the plane. I don't care where it was. My mom was always like, it's, it's enough that we're getting there. It's enough that you get to see this. And you know what? We're happy with that. We're happy with the cheap seats. At least we were there. We're excited to be there. But I'll tell you what, I've never flown first class. I've never been so far up in a concert where a singer, when they're singing, their sweat is flicking out on me, right? Maybe that was a good thing. I'm not that, that close. I've never been so close in a baseball game that I could catch a fly ball when it flips right over the wall. And maybe you've always felt like you're sitting in the cheap seats of life. Maybe you always felt, look at me, I'm a nobody. I'm somebody, if, if you use the word hero, nobody would ever put my face with that word. If I die today, how many people wouldn't even notice that I'm gone? I'm a nobody. I've lived a life, I'm, I'm average looking, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. But I'm not famous. I'm not a billionaire. I haven't cured cancer. So maybe you're used to being unnoticed and overlooked and undervalued. You're in the cheap seats. But imagine if one day that all got turned upside down. It would be like if you went to one of those concerts and you got the cheapest ticket possible. It was so cheap that not only were you up there in the balcony... But you were behind a pillar. You couldn't even see the front, you know, it's a stage. You're just listening to the concert. And as the concert goes on, you know the singer, every once in a while, singers like get off the stage and they, they walk around the, the expensive seats and they'll stop and they'll sing to you and you feel like, wow, that's, that's so amazing. But what if on that day, the singer hopped off the stage and instead of staying there, started climbing up the stairs and climbed all the way up to the top of the balcony, and hunted around, got around the pillar, found you, and got right close to you, and sat next to you, 
and looked you in the face and started singing. How special would you feel? Your ticket didn't buy that experience. You weren't anybody of note that that singer should come up and find you and bring the concert to you. But that would just change your life. This is what God does. God sees the lowly in a state, as we found out in chapter 1, when Mary is overwhelmed. How did he see me? How did he even know that I lived, that I existed? God sees the people in the cheap seats, and he loves them, and he came to them, even though they were as far away as possible as the real, where the real action was taking place. He brought the birth party to a bunch of nobodies so that he could bring them in to a circle of grace and make them somebodies. Now, I would have absolutely loved to have been a fly in the wall of heaven. If heaven has flies, I would have loved this. To be on the wall of heaven the day that God assembled a full host of heaven, heavenly angels and said, guys, we're going to get ready for the birth of my son. And we're going to do one of the most incredible concerts the world has ever seen. And you're going to do it for five guys sitting on a hill. Three of them have never washed. One of them had a bath last month. And that's, that's your audience. That's your target audience. That's who you're going to. You have to imagine the angels who do not know the full depths of God's mind were scratching their heads a little bit at that one. Why are we doing this? Why don't we go to the whole world? Why don't we go to the whole city of Bethlehem or the whole city of Jerusalem? Why aren't we filling up the temple courts? You want us to go sing to the cheap seats? Well, the angels obeyed. They probably got intensely curious why God was doing it this way. The angels are always being astounded by God. We know this because 1 Peter 1.12 says that when it comes to the story of our redemption, which this, by the way, this tonight, this story, is part of our redemption. When it comes to that story, the angels are curious it says, even the angels long to look into such things. They want to know the mind of God. They want to find out all his secrets. And God just doles them out a little bit at a time. And they're like, oh, that's so cool. I want to know more. Well, the angels may not know the mind of the Almighty, but they know he loves us. And they know he works for the people who are unusual and nobodies. So the army of heaven, they, they agree. They put on their best robes. They practice their anthem. They wait for that moment when the Father will give them the go command. And when they get that, they break through from the spiritual realm into the physical, and they bring three things to the shepherds sitting there. Again, put yourself in the shoes of the sh or the sandals of the shepherds sitting there. Here's what you're experiencing. First, the glory of God precedes the angels, goes out in front of them, and lights everything up. And that every time we've seen in the Bible, where the physical, visible manifestation of the glory of God happens. It is overwhelming, it is bright, and it is the most terrifying thing they've ever seen. They are on the ground. They see the Lord's holiness and his power and his authority and display, and they have no doubt who this is. And then the next thing that happens is a single angel appears to the shepherds and pretty much gives them a sermon. If you ever wonder why, why we do sermons, this, this is one of the reasons. They are told something very important. They're told, don't be afraid. Instead of being afraid, be joyous. Because you have great cause for celebration. The Messiah, the Savior, the Emmanuel is born to you. 
and you don't even have to wait to find out about this. Not even in tomorrow's paper. You can go see it yourself right now. There's proof right down there in the town. Get off the cheap seats, go right in. You can go see it yourself. And then third, to top everything else off, that one angel is joined by thousands, if not millions, of angels. Horizon to horizon. God's glory pulsing in power between each of them. And they sing the third song in Luke. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Imagine, and no, not imagine, think back to the one concert you went to that moved you more than anything else. A concert that didn't just entertain you. You were changed by it. You felt goosebumps on your arm. You could have sat there for hours. It was transcendent. It was amazing. You went home that day from that concert, and you couldn't stop talking about it. It was that amazing. That was nothing compared to this concert. Those shepherds sitting in the cheap seats got the coolest concert we've ever seen in the world. I wish I had seen it. I'm sure you wish you had too. But imagine the richness of the voice, the truth of these words sung, and the power of God going through it all. Well, we may not have heard the song that day, but Luke brings to us from the shepherds themselves the words of that song. And these words are not just sung to them. They were sung to us today. They were singing of all those on whom God's favor rests. All of the nobodies. All of those sitting in the cheap seats. All of those who thought, nobody sees me. Nobody understands me. Nobody loves me. And God goes, I do. I see you. And I am bringing to you my favor. My love. My son born to you. What a birth celebration. And when this celebration ends, the best celebration ever, we don't see the the shepherds suddenly go, that was weird. All right, back to the sheep. Let's get back. You know, we got a job to do, guys. Let's dust that off. No, what do they do? They throw down their shepherd's crooks, and they go, we got to go see this for ourselves. We immediately have to go into town and see if this is true. Is that parallel right away, what Mary did in chapter 1? When Mary is told by the angel, you're going to give birth, and here's a sign to you, your cousin's already pregnant, who's who's too old to be pregnant, she's pregnant by the hand of God. And so she says, well, I've got to go right away, I've got to go see this. And the scripture said, Mary went in haste. Well, the shepherds are going in haste. Because when God makes you a promise, and you really believe that it's God telling you that promise, you want to go check it out yourself. I think we find that when... There's always that moment that I look for as a pastor when I look at somebody who's just kind of coming into the faith and looking at the Bible. And there's that moment where the Bible goes from being something abstract to something personal. When a light switch gets turned on, and you see it every now and then, it's one of the the most special things you'll ever see. When somebody realizes, this is about me. This is God made me these promises. Me, these promises. And then they start flipping the pages faster and faster because they want to find out more about these promises. They're like the shepherds. They want to go and see what God had done, what God had promised. Well, think of speaking of the weirdness, think of how strange this night was from Mary's perspective. Mary had just given birth. I'm told it kind of rings your body out. It's kind of an exhausting thing. 
But she had given birth, the baby's lying there, she's, you know, Joseph's done whatever he could to make her comfortable. It's a quiet night, the cattle are lowing or whatever they're doing in the song. And suddenly the door bursts open, and unwashed blue-collar workers burst in, where is he, where is he? We've got to see him. Strangers, every woman wants that, by the way, when they've given birth. Just strangers bursting in the door, asking to see your kid, you know, like, <laughs> stranger danger, stay away. No. Verse 19 tells us she's not annoyed. She's not annoyed at all. She treasures up these things in her heart. She's delighted to see, once again, God at work around her. God at work with this kid. She has so many questions at this point, but she's amazed. I also think that Mary had a pretty good sense of humor about all of this. She's a good kid. But as for the shepherds, the proof of God's promise is all that it takes to draw them in further in from the cheap seats into that grace and to draw them into becoming ministers themselves, to becoming evangelists. They don't go just like, oh, let's go see, and now that our curiosity is sated, let's go back to our lives. No, that's not what happens when grace touches your life. You are changed, and every day from then on forward is changed too. And they're changed. They go, wow, this is amazing. God has told us something. We have seen the proof of that. Now we're going to go tell the world. And they go out, and they're obnoxious. I hope they're not kicking everybody's doors in. But they go out through the whole town and the whole countryside, and they're telling everybody that we've seen angels, and they give us this message, and they told us to go see a baby, and we went and saw the baby. And he was born, in the, swaddled in the manger, just as they had said. They praise God. They live to glorify him. Nobody's changed by grace, become somebody's. And this is what they became. The Holy Spirit lived in them, and through their message, the Bible tells us, many people heard and were amazed. Not many people heard and doubted. Many people heard and went, whatever, you know, I'm not going to listen to you. You're beneath my station. They knew God was talking through these men. Hey, you, sitting in the cheap seats. Not just the people in the back, although, you know, cheap seats. God sees you right now. He sees you. He knows you. He has numbered the hairs on your head. He knows the days of your life that stretch before you. He knows what sins you have performed in your life to the smallest minute detail. He has named you before the beginning of the world, and he is calling you. He is calling you off the cheap seats. He is calling you to come down and be, a, a, be adopted into his family as a son or daughter of the king. Come join me, he says. Come down in my grace. Here is my sign to you. I sent a, my son. He is born in Bethlehem. He lived. He ministered. He died on the cross. He was resurrected on the third day. And then he ascended and is on the throne of heaven. And he sees you too. And the spirit that works in all these things sees you as well. We may have been in the cheap seats in our life, that's a good place to be because that's the first place God looks. So I'm going to say the thing that all the pastors say on Christmas Eve. You don't have to wait until tomorrow to open up the best gift you'll ever get in your life. You can open it up now. You can take his grace. All it takes is confessing your sin and saying, Lord Jesus, I accept you. I want you in my life and I need your grace. But I have to warn you, it will change you forever. Just ask the shepherds 
who got off those seats and they went out and they proclaimed his glory and they praised his name and they were changed forever after. I'm excited to be among that crowd and I hope you are too. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it's it's so amazing. Again and again in the Bible, we see that you just picked the most unlikely of people. The people that nobody would have picked first to be on their team. And Lord, you go right up to them and say, I choose you. I can make something out of you. Lord, it gives us good hope in our lives. As we look at ourselves and our failures and our sin and our weakness, and Lord, we see through your eyes that we could become somebody. We see through your eyes that we are loved. We are noticed. We are made special. We are made righteous with the blood of your Son on us. We are made your sons and your daughters. Lord, let us never take that for granted. On this Christmas Eve, as we come into Christmas morning, may we wake up and realize that, Lord, we are yours. We are treasured. And we will always be yours. You say in the Bible that the Father gives us to you and no one can ever take us from your hands. What a great promise that was. Lord, we thank you for all that tonight. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this special Christmas Eve message. You can listen to other sermons on our website at knoxepc.com forward slash sermons. To reach out to Knox Church or request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com or send a text to our prayer hotline at 833-240-1824, that number to text prayer requests to again is 833-240-1824. Please include the word pray in your request. You may write to us at Knox Church, 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York 14217. Our YouTube channel can be found at youtube.com forward slash at Knox EPC. Thank you again for joining us.